So over 40 years ago, both my parents worked at a pizza restaurant in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis. And on April 1st of all days, my father asked my mother on a date. Now, thinking this was a, a practical joke, uh, being April Fool's and all, my mother just played along with it. Uh, she said, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, I'll go on a date with you. Uh, yeah, this will be a lot of fun. But indeed, it actually was a lot of fun. Uh, they had a great time together. They went on several more dates beyond that. Uh, the story continues. They got engaged. They were married. They had four kids, of whom I am the youngest. Now, think about, think about not only my life, but really all of our lives for just a brief moment. What would have happened if my mom would have said, yeah, 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 right, good joke. Good joke, Jerry. No way am I going on a date with you. I get, I get what this is. I get what this is. This is just a practical joke. It's April Fool's. I get what this is. There's no way I'm going on a date with you, right? They go their separate ways. They may or may not have met different people. They may or may not have gotten married. They may or may not have had different babies of different DNA who would not be me. I would not have been born. I never would have met Emily. He grew up in Newtown, Pennsylvania, in college in St. Paul, Minnesota. We wouldn't have gotten married. We never would have planted a church in Levittown, Pennsylvania. We never would have been sitting here today. Now, it may be the case that you'd be sitting in some other church, but you wouldn't be here today because I never would have been born. I never would have been here. We never would have come to Levittown, Pennsylvania to plant a church. Now, we could have gone a lot further back than 40 years. Could have gone a lot further back than 40 years. My mother, for instance, grew up in, in northern Wisconsin. But by a series of unfortunate events, all which were the byproduct of people's choices, by the way, a series of unfortunate events, they brought her down to the Twin Cities where she just so happened to meet this guy named Jerry by working at a pizza restaurant in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. The world as we know it, in other words, exists today as it does because of the choices that not only we have made, but billions of people throughout history have made. This is why the world is the way it is. This is why we are sitting here today is because we are the collection of everybody's choices. And we are the collection certainly of our choices as well throughout human history. And this, my friends, is the nature and the power of choice. If things would have been chosen differently, then things would be differently. How many of you guys seen the show Timeless? You guys watch that show? Anybody? It's a show that just came out recently, but it's kind of uh, based on this premise that there are little things that are changed throughout history, and all of a sudden the world as we know it today is drastically different. How many of you read the most recent Harry Potter manuscript? Oh, me? Okay, sweet. Uh, it's the same idea, that if things are changed in history, then things will be different today. It's called chaos theory. It's called the butterfly effect. A lot of different names for it, but it's kind of the idea. And here's the thing, guys. Did you know that we make roughly 7,000 decisions every single day? Every single day, you are making 7,000 intentional decisions. The alarm went off this morning. You had a decision. Am I going to get out of bed or am I going to hit that snooze button? Am I going to get out of bed or am I going to hit that snooze button? But something that we all know, but rarely something we think about, is that all of our decisions are weighted. Every decision we make is weighted. We don't have to think about all of them. We don't have to actually weigh them on the spot all the time, but all of our decisions are weighted. You set your alarm to get up to go to the gym one morning, and the alarm goes off, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm really tired. I don't really, is the gym really worth it this morning? You, you weigh the cost of the gym membership in your head. You're like, well, really? I mean, $10 a month a day, it's like 30 cents a day. I mean, that's not going to get me out of bed, you know? It's like, what am I losing, 30 cents, whatever. That's not enough. That, that weighing isn't going to help you get out of bed. But then you think about the men or the, or the women who are waiting for you, that community of, of uh, brothers and sisters waiting for you at the gym. You're like, you know, they're, they're expecting me. They're counting on me to be there. 
And you're like, yeah, but you know what? Uh, they, they don't show up all the time either, so you can justify that and not, <laughs> not go to the gym. But then you think about the five pieces of pizza you ate the night before. And you're kind of like, oh, man, I, I should really probably go to the gym this morning, <laughs> you know, because I just, I, I can't live this way. I need to, I need to balance out my, my diet and my exercise. I need, to, <laughs> I need to put some energy into that. And so, and so you get up and you go to the gym because you weighed your decision. You're like, okay, it's a good idea. I'm going to weigh my decision. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the gym. We do this cost-benefit analysis of our decisions all of the time. See, when you eventually do crawl out of bed and you head to the kitchen, right, you know you had those five pieces of pizza the night before, but then you see that plate of donuts over there. And you're like, oh, well, man, donuts for breakfast, or should I really have the protein shake? Well, do I want to gain 10 pounds, or do I want to lose those 10 pounds? We weigh the decision, cost-benefit analysis. We do this all of the time. You head to work that day after you get home from that gym, and, and yes, you know, you may be dreading going to work. You may be dreading going to work. You may just be like, oh, I really don't want to go to work today. Uh, my job, uh, yeah, my job's gross. I hate going to work. I hate sitting in that cubicle every day. I don't want to go to that place. And so you're weighing the cost versus the benefit of this decision. Like I could turn left at this intersection and head to the beach, which is what I really want to do. But, you know, I kind of do like that paycheck. And if I don't go to work today, then my ch- paycheck's going to be in jeopardy. And if, and if my paycheck is in jeopardy, then I can't put food on the table for my family. And if I can't put food on the table for my family, they're all going to be hangry all the time. And nobody wants to live in that context. Nobody wants to live in that environment. And so it's like, you know, I better go to work today. So we weigh the decision. Cost versus the benefit. We weigh our decisions all of the time. But here's the thing. Even though we analyze and weigh our decisions all the time, most of us don't even have to think about it. You don't actually go through this process of uh, the cost and the benefit. You don't actually go through the process of weighing your decisions. You just, you just do it. We just do it all the time. We don't even have to think about it. And herein, I think, lies part of the problem. We don't even have to think about it. That is part of the problem. When we were younger, our parents used to tell us, think before you act. Think before you speak. Make intentional, wise decisions. Slow down. Think about what you are doing. But you know, when we were younger, there were video games to play. When we were younger, there were shopping malls to go to. When we were younger, there were boys and girls to date. And, and somehow, the priorities which drove our decision-making weren't always wise or kind or loving because the voices that we listened to and, and, and the contexts that we involved ourselves in didn't have our best interest in mind. You know, that group of friends that we chose to hang out with in high school, maybe they didn't have my best interest in mind, but those were the voices that I chose to listen to. Those are the influences I chose to involve myself in, and they there informed my decisions. They f- informed my choices. And, and these thoughts that I had became the words that I spoke, and the words became the actions, and those actions became my habits, and those habits became my character. And now, for the good or for the bad, 10, 20, 50 years later, we are reaping all those decisions that we made way back when. We, in other words, are the collection of our choices. Our character was formed, beginning to be formed years ago when we started making decisions about the voices that we listened to and the, and the choices we made and what informed us. We made choices that, col- that, that formed who we are today. And here's the thing, if you don't like what your character has become, if you struggle with who you are and what your character has become, you're, you're angry or you're greedy or you're selfish all of the time, this is who you've become. If you don't like who you've become, If you don't like who you see yourself becoming, 
then you have to learn to make different choices. You have to learn to begin to make different choices. And the reason so many of the decisions for change in a different life that we have to make seem so hard today is because they are contrary to our character. If we want a different life, if we want to become someone new, if we want a loving, kinder, more generous, more patient character, then we have to make a decision to begin to be that way. And that's really hard because it is completely against who our character has become. And so this series titled One Way or Another is all about making hard decisions in order that we might become the people that God intended us to be. Now here's the thing, we're not going to have a 7,000 week series, you know, we're not going to go through every single decision that we make in our life or in our day, but we are going to tackle some of the harder ones. In particular, today we're going to tackle the choice to listen. Next we're going to talk about the, chur- the choice to be courageous, we're going to talk about the choice to love, we're going to talk about the choice to forgive, we're going to talk about the choice to pursue Jesus. And so over the next five weeks we're going to talk about the nature of choice and the challenge that is put before us as We pursue the people that God had created us to be. So today, the choice to listen. And when I say the choice to listen, what I really mean is the choice to communicate. And when I say the choice to communicate, what I really mean is the choice to engage in authentic relationship with people, to be in relationship with other human beings, to be in relationship with God. This is all about listening. It's all about communication. It actually means to relate to one another, to be connected to another person, to be connected with God, to be bound up in another person, to be bound up in who God is. The choice to listen begins there. So how many of you who are married, how many of you who have a significant other, how many of you uh, receive phone calls from loved ones each day? You have, a, you have a significant other or a, a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they call you because what do they want to do? They want to foster a healthy relationship, right? So you communicate. You enter into a relationship. They want to call you to see how your day is going at work, and they want to call you to tell you that they're thinking about you and that they just want to touch base with you. Does anybody have a, a person like that in their life? Uh, I know I do. Emily and I try to do this regularly in our day. Uh, admittedly, she probably does it more than I do. Uh, she calls me probably more frequently than I call her. Um, but we try to do this. We try to foster this healthy relationship. But how many of you who are, are in a situation like this, you, you receive this phone call, and you're like, oh, great, you know, Emily, Emily's calling. This is, this is great. This is wonderful. Hey, oh, hey, Emily. Oh, yeah, yeah, your day's going all good. Yeah, yeah, my day's, my day's going great. And then, but <laughs> here's the thing, right? We're still looking at our computer screen. And she's like, oh, yeah, she, she, she starts talking to me, and, and slowly but surely I start to drift away. And I see that email popped up. I'm like, oh, hi, Emily. Oh, yeah, um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're, okay, your day's going well, okay, yep, mm-hmm. You start responding to that email, and it's like, you don't even know what Emily's saying anymore. She's obviously this distant voice in the background because there's something else that grabbed your attention. I can't be the only one who's had that happen to me, right? Come on, guys, come on. Okay, I can't be the only person who's experienced this. I can't be the only person when I come home from work, and, and we're like, hey, you know, let's talk about our day. Let's foster this relationship. I can't be the only one who's like, oh, yeah, Emily, oh, yeah, how's your day going? Yep, okay, uh-huh, Facebook? Oh, yeah, sweet. Facebook, oh, yeah, did you see what happened? Did you see what happened to our friend? I can't be the only one doing this. It can't just be me, right? Okay. Okay, I can't. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, yes. I can't be the only one who, when my, when my kids come to me, and they're like, Daddy, 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 and I don't even hear what they're saying because that Eagles game is on. It's actually a Vikings game, by the way, okay? <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear what they're saying because the Vikings game is on. I'm not paying attention to them because something else has drawn my attention. I can't be the only one who has experienced this. But here's the thing. How much listening... 
How much listening can be done when there is disruption, when there is distraction? How much listening can actually be done when, they, when our attention is divided? So here's the thing. We spend 70% of our awake hours communicating. 70% of the time that we are awake, we spend in communicating. Now, some of this is in writing or reading emails or text messages, but 45% of our awake time spent in communication is by listening. 45% of communication is listening. Most people spend five hours a day on the receiving end of communication, on the listening end of communication. Five hours a day, that is incredible. Listening is the foundation of the communicative process. And because communication is the backbone to being in a relationship, listening becomes one of the most important things you can do to foster a healthy relationship. It's not talking, it's listening. One of the most important things you can do to foster a healthy relationship. And when I say listening, I don't just mean hearing, right? Yeah, I, I, I understand that there are words coming out of your mouth. It kind of sounds like the, the Charlie Brown mom and the people on the phone, wah, 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 right? I get that there are things coming out of your, there are like these sounds coming out of your mouth that, <laughs> I am doing it, Emily. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll switch over here. Kathleen? <laughs> Kathleen, okay. We need to engage the other person, though, you know? We need to engage the other person. Allowing them to speak rather than speaking over them. Trying to understand their perspective. Entering into the situation and seeing the situation from their vantage point. And if we do not do this, if we do not choose to listen, if we do not engage the person talking with us with attention, with entering into the conversation, then we are proving to them that there is something more important to them. That's what we're doing. We're proving to them that there is something more important to them, and this is why relationships break down. 80% of married couples in counseling say that resentment began because their partner, their spouse, did not listen. Did not listen. 80% of marriages break down because their spouse did not pay attention. They didn't listen. And so, sorry, Emily, when I don't engage with you when you call on the phone and I'm involved in my email, what I'm really doing is saying, you know what, Emily, my email is more important than you. When I'm on Facebook at home and she's asking me about my day, I'm really saying, hey, Emily, uh, yeah, thanks for the thought, but Facebook is really more important than you. And when my kids come to me and say, daddy, 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 I'm like, hey, guys, I'm watching the Eagles game. Get away from me, the Vikings game. Get away from me. I'm really saying, you know what, guys? Yeah, it's all well and good that we're together, but really the Vikings are my priority. At least that's what I'm conveying to them. I may not be saying that actually, but that's what I'm conveying to them. And you know what? Here's the thing. Emails are important sometimes. There are times when I just want to come home and veg on the couch and not be bothered. Like, we get that, all right? That happens to all of us. There are times when we just want to do that. But here's the thing. If I want to be in a fostering, a fostering a healthy relationship with my spouse and with my children, with other people, you know what I have to do? I have to say, hey, Emily, thank you for calling. Can I call you back in five minutes after I respond to this email? Can I call you back in a few minutes so that we can actually have a conversation where I'm not distracted? Hey, kids, guys, I, I, I love you very much, but I just need some time away. We need to communicate how we are feeling. We need to let other people engage in our situation just as we are engaging in other people's situation. Because if we cannot listen with attention and empathy, wanting to step into their perspective and understanding, then our relationships are destined to ruin. If we cannot listen, our relationships are destined to ruin. So listening is a choice that we have to make, and for so, much of us, so many of us, it is a really hard choice to make, but we will be responsible for our choice to listen. Now, there are a ton of examples in Scripture that I could turn to 
to, to uh, illustrate this and to help us understand more of what's going on here. But there's one in particular that I want to draw us to. So it takes place in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. It's about a quarter of the way through your Bible. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to take them out. 1 Kings, again, like I said, is about a quarter of the way in. We're going to be uh, kind of starting in four, chapter 14, but kind of going through chapter 22, telling one story of uh, one of the kings of Israel. Uh, if you have your smartphone, by the way, and you have our app, then pull it out because the scripture is right there inside the app for you. You can just click on today's sermon and you'll find the scripture today. As you guys are doing that, I want to uh, tell you what's going on here a little bit, give you a little background. So here's the thing. After Solomon was king of uh, Israel, Solomon was David's son. He was the king of Israel for a time. The kingdom of Israel was divided in two. And so Jeroboam, one of uh, Solomon's officials, took over the northern uh, portion of the land, which was still named Israel. So he took over Israel in the north. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took over Judea, which was the southern portion of the land. So you have Israel in the north, Judea in the south. Israel in the north is ruled by Jeroboam, one of Solomon's officials. Now Jeroboam went like pagan idolatry crazy. He just loved the pagan idols. He loved the pagan gods. And this is what his heart began to worship. And so what does he do? He sets up a golden calf at Bethel, which is in the south part of the land, so that everybody coming from the south into his land would have to bow down to this golden calf uh, in the city of Bethel. And then he set up one also in Dan, which is the far northern city in his land. So everybody coming from the north down into the south into his land would have to worship this golden calf as they entered the land. And he went just pagan idolatry crazy. He loved his pagan idols. He only worshipped them. He, he refused to worship the true God of Israel like his fathers did. Uh, he worshipped these pagan idols. And there was this saying, the following in the, in the ways of Jeroboam and following in the sins of Jeroboam that came to identify all of the kings of Israel that went on after him. Until this guy named, by the name of Ahab came along. He was also a king of Israel. Here's what it says about Ahab in 1 Kings 16. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And so Jeroboam was really bad, but Ahab is super bad. It's kind of what they're saying. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So not only is he refusing to worship the true God of Israel, but now he set up an entire temple for the false pagan god Baal. And now he is worshiping this false god. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Asherah was the, another pagan god, and she was the god of victory, the god of war, and so they would set up these, these tall poles to commemorate her victory. And so everywhere that she had a victory, they would set up these poles, and so he was setting up these Asherah excuse me, setting up these Asherah poles all over the place, um, commemorating that the, the god Asherah was really the one who was victorious. He did more to provoke the Lord. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all of the kings before him. And so Ahab is super nasty, super bad. That's kind of what uh, this text is saying. Ahab is only evil. And so remember that our character, to go back to where we started, the character that we have today began with decisions that we made in our youth. Right? So Ahab made these decisions to worship both uh, figuratively and literally the pagan gods. The, the, the gods who promoted selfishness and self-righteousness, the gods who promoted anger and, and, uh, and, um, and hatred in their people, 
the, the, the God who provoked people to go to war and to create conflict, and the gods who lacked all peace. These were the gods that he bowed down to figuratively and literally since his youth. And so when you get to 1 Kings, beginning in chapter 14, all the way through 22 at Ahab's death, there are two words that describe Ahab's character. Over and over and over again, Ahab is described as being sullen, and he is being described as being angry. He is sullen, and he is angry. If Ahab got a bad report, he was sullen and angry. If something didn't go his way, he was sullen and angry. If he didn't like the answer that he received, he was sullen and angry. These two words define who Ahab was over and over and over again in First Kings. And do you know what a sullen and angry person looks like? Can you get a picture in your mind of what a sullen and angry person might look like? Here's what comes to my mind. A three-year-old child stomping their feet, kicking and screaming in the target aisle because you said no to the toy that they wanted. They kick and they scream and they pout and they shake and they fall on the floor and they kick some more and they scream until everybody knows that you said no to the toy that they wanted, okay? And you drag them out literally by their ankles into the car. I've never had to do that, right? Maybe some of you had. I have to do it like every day, unfortunately, with my three-year-old daughter who is precious and beautiful and I love her very much. But <laughs> sullen and angry, that's kind of what it's like. You're self-pitying. I want this thing, but it's not going my way, and so I'm sullen, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to pout, and I'm going to mourn, and then I get angry. And I start slandering people and yelling and shouting. I'm sullen, and I am angry. And so one time Ahab wanted to expand his, expand his vegetable garden. Ahab wanted to expand his vegetable garden, so he goes to his neighbor and he says, hey, can I have your land so that I can expand my vegetable garden into your land? And the guy was like, uh, no. Uh, no, I don't want to give up my land because this land is my inheritance. This is the land I grew up on. This is the land that my fathers gave me. I, I love this piece of land. I don't want to give up my land. And so his neighbor said no to the king for expanding his plot of land. And so Ahab begins to pout. He walks away sullen and he stomps his feet and he cuddles up into bed and he begins to cry. But then he has a conversation with his wife. Remember his wife was the, uh, the, the, uh, the daughter of um, Ethbal, who was the, the king of Sidonians? She was a wicked, wicked, and cruel woman. Her name was Jezebel. And they together devise a plan in their anger. Remember he was sullen. He, he curled up in his bed and he began to weep that his neighbor wouldn't give him his land. He begins to, to weep. But then his wife comes along and said, hey, you know what? You're the king. Why don't you just take it? Why don't you just do what you do? Get in your anger and take your land. And so that is exactly what they do. He was sullen and he was angry. And so he goes and he kills the man so that he gets his land. He's sullen. He is angry. He was sullen and angry because early on in his life, he made decisions to be sullen and angry. Early on, he bowed down to those gods who patted his ego and stroked his pride and puffed him up. And, and every time that he felt deflated, because his ego was struck down, or his pride was struck down, or his circumstances didn't, do the, didn't end up the way he wanted them to be, he would walk away sullen and angry. This is how he behaved. This is how he learned to behave. His character became sullen and angry because those were the choices he made to be sullen and angry all throughout his life. And one of the biggest issues with anger is that it causes us to respond before we know what the real issue is. For those of you who struggle with anger, that's one of the biggest issues of being angry is that you respond before you know what the real issue is. Or in other words, anger overrides the ability to listen. I'm not going to engage this conversation because I'm going to respond before I even know what the situation is. And what is evident about anger is that it reveals something that isn't right. It reveals that something's not right in my heart. It reveals something's not right in my mind. It reveals something's not right with the situation. But what is mysterious about anger is that it doesn't tell us what is wrong 
or with whom something is wrong, or how to solve the problem. And the reason I tell you all this before we get to the point of this whole thing is that because we are driven by our character. You guys get that? We are driven by our character. We are driven by who we know to be. Our character, which has been informed by our habits, which were informed by our actions, which were informed by our choices, which were informed by our thoughts, this drives how we behave. Our character drives how we behave. It is, and if it is true that we are the sum total of our life's choices, then asking the hard questions is absolutely necessary. Why are we this way? Why are we sullen? Why are we angry? Why are we greedy? Why are we impatient? These are absolutely important questions. And if our character is inclined to promote the self above all else because we've made selfish choices our whole life, then the only way that we are going to break this vicious cycle is if we learn to make hard decisions against our sinful, self-interested choices by the grace of God and by the prompting of his Holy Spirit and by the rebuke and the voice of other people, our community, the people we're in relationship with, that they might speak into our life and we would actually listen to what they have to say. And when they say it, we would actually turn. We would say, you know what? I don't like who my character has become. I don't like who I see myself becoming. I'm going to listen to God's conviction upon my life. I'm going to listen to what my wife has to say. I'm going to listen to what my friends are saying. And I'm going to make the hard decision to go against my character so that I can become the person that God has created me to be. We must choose to listen to our loved ones who speak truth into our lives. We must choose to listen to God as he speaks into our lives. We must choose to listen before we react. And listening requires humility. So please, my friends, please, please understand this. This becomes so important that listening requires humility. It demands that we set our own agenda aside and enter into the agenda of another person. Set your agenda aside, enter into the agenda of another person. And so often the reason we fail to listen is because we don't actually care what the other person has to say. The reason we fail to listen is that we have already determined what the other person is going to say, and so we've already written them off. And so I don't have to hear what you have to say because I already know what you're going to say. I don't have to listen to what you have to say because I don't think what you have to say is important. And so we choose not to listen. We've already made up our mind about how we're going to respond to an argument or a conversation before we even enter into it. So we're not really looking to reply. I'm sorry, we're not really looking to understand. We are looking to reply. You guys ever done that before? We're not really looking to understand. We're looking to reply. I don't really hear the words coming out of your mouth. I'm just going to give you an answer. I'm not going to understand. I'm not going to enter in. So here's the thing. Ahab was sullen and he was angry. And in his anger, he had been conditioned to respond before he listened. So one day, Ahab went to inquire of the prophets before going to war. The prophets basically functioned like, like advisors do to the president today. Uh, they gave advice on, on situations. They, they asked the gods um, what the situation was going to be like and, and how they should respond, and so they communicated with the gods' will to the king. And so there were 400 pagan prophets that all told Ahab to go to war, that he would win. But he wondered if there was a prophet of the god who could advise him. And so he remembered that there was one prophet of the living God, Yahweh, the, king, the god of Israel, left. And so he says, you know what, but I hate that prophet because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He was sullen and he was angry. But in fact, the prophet was always right, right? The prophet never lied. Everything that the prophet said was true and everything that the prophet said came to be. And so Ahab agrees to bring him in to see what he has to say. The 400 pagan prophets tell him to go to war, that he'll be victorious, and Micaiah, the prophet of God, agrees. He says, go to war. You're going to win. But Ahab responds by saying, Micaiah, 
how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he has this impression that maybe Micaiah isn't telling him the truth because he never prophesies anything good about Ahab. So uh, Micaiah, how many times do I have to tell you only to tell me the truth? So Micaiah does tell him the truth. And let's stop here just for a moment. If someone that has been trusted to speak truth into your life begins to speak truth into your life, my friends, you have to listen. You have to listen. If there is someone that you love and you know loves you in return, begins to speak truth into your life, then you have to open up your ears and your hearts and your minds to listen to what they have to say. You have to do that. But it really depends on our character if we're going to do that or not. It really does depend on our character. Let's, are you humble enough to listen? Are you humble enough to receive what the other person is going to say? Or are you angry all the time? And therefore you've already had your response in your mouth before you even hear what it's about to say. Because here's the thing, Micaiah does tell Ahab what's up. Micaiah tells him exactly what's happening. So Ahab, are you listening? Ahab, are you listening to what I'm about to say? I don't mean are you capable of hearing the words coming out of my, my mouth, but are you really intent on listening to what I have to say? Are you really paying attention? Are you really concerning yourselves what I am about to tell you? And so here's what Micaiah says. He says, Ahab, I've pulled back the curtain. I've seen what is happening. I've seen exactly what is happening. I've pulled back the curtain. I've, I've seen what God is telling the, the, the prophets. All your prophets are lying to you because God has decreed disaster on you. God has decreed your disaster, and if you follow them and go to war, then you will certainly die. But Ahab, I, I want to assure you of something. Do you remember, Ahab, three years ago? Three years ago, Ahab, you, you, you were also decreed for disaster. God had also said to you that disaster was coming on you, but then you said, God, I'm so sorry. You repented and you humbled yourself. You turned from all of your wicked ways and you turned back to God and said, God, Ahab, I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to take away the disaster that I decreed upon you. Ahab, you have a choice here, in other words. God has decreed disaster upon you, and I'm telling you that disaster has been decreed upon you. How are you going to choose? What is your choice going to be? Are you going to continue to walk in the ways that are going to lead you to perish? Are you going to continue to be sullen and angry and greedy and impatient? Are you going to turn from your wicked ways and you're going to enter in to the life? You're going to make that hard choice to enter into the life that will be thriving. But remember that Ahab already knew in his mind that Micaiah was coming with bad news. He was sullen and he was angry. He already knew what Micaiah was going to say. He had already determined in his mind where the conversation was going. And so he had already developed his response. He didn't care what Micaiah had to say. He had already developed his response because he already thought that Micaiah was coming with bad news. And so the, the minute that Micaiah is done speaking, Ahab ordered Micaiah to be put in prison until he returned safely. Micaiah, I don't care what you have to say. You've told me that disaster is decreed for me. You've told me that disaster is coming, Micaiah. I don't care what you have to say. I am sullen and I'm angry. I'm not going to listen to the words coming out of your mouth because I've already formed my response before you even started speaking. And so this is what I'm going with. Micaiah says this, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And so Ahab went off to war and he dies that very day. Ahab did not listen to Micaiah. He did not understand. He did not strive to understand. He did not care to understand. He rather listened simply to tell Micaiah off. That is why he engaged the conversation so that he could tell Micaiah off. He didn't care what Micaiah had to say. He didn't care what words came out of his mouth. He didn't care to humble himself before his prophet. Instead, he went with what he already knew. And the reason that so many of us don't listen is because half the time we've already made up our minds about where the conversation is going 
So it doesn't matter what the other person has to say, it is irrelevant. And if we fail to listen, to enter into another person's understanding, if we fail to enter into another person's perspective, if we fail to heed the rebuke that they offer, then our relationships are destined to ruin. Think of a husband and a wife who have an argument about money. Put yourself in that hypothetical situation. Maybe it's not all that hypothetical. Think of a husband and a wife who have a conversation about money. It's a regular argument in their household. The wife does most of the tracking of the money, and so she brings up the need to talk. She's the one who sees the checkbook. She's the one who pays the bills. She sees that there is a need to have a conversation about it. So she goes to her husband and says, hey, honey, we need to have a conversation about the use of our money. And the husband, who has already determined where the conversation is going, develops his defenses, which are accusations about his wife's spending. You know, she, in turn, feels manipulated. And so she defends also by accusing him of drinking too much and spending too much at the bars. And then he deflects that stab by saying, yeah, well, look at your spending habits. How come you're at the mall every day? How come you're spending so much on a new pair of shoes every week? You really need all that clothes? And by the way, who do you need to get all dolled up for anyway? Who do you need all this fancy new clothes for? Who are you trying to impress? And then she's like, well, hey, you're just being crazy. You know, what do you think? I'm not, I'm not doing this for anybody else. I'm not trying to impress anybody else. And the argument keeps spiraling down and down and down. And he thinks, hey, you're being crazy. And then he says, well, you know what? You want to see crazy? I'll show you crazy. He picks up a plate and throws it against the wall. Begins with a simple conversation about this need to talk about money. It ends up in this huge, blown-up argument. And why? Why? Because they refused to listen to each other. That might seem extreme, but the reality is that various forms of that happen all the time in our households. And did you know that poor communication is the number one reason why couples end in divorce? 80% of couples said that resentment began with the lack of communication. 65% of divorced couples said that communication was the reason why they ended in divorce. You see, the wife came wanting to talk about money. A, a listening husband would have said, help me understand your concern. They wouldn't have deflected their response. They would have said, help me understand your concern. I'm listening. A, a humble listening husband would have said, it seems that I spend too much at the bar. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Instead of saying, hey, you spend too much on clothes. And the wife may have said, a, a humble listening wife may have said, you know what, it seems like you're trying to tell me that maybe I spend too much on clothes. And they together then would have come to a solution for the problem. Instead of creating more chaos and more conflict, if they simply would have listened to each other, entered into the other person's perspective, listened into the, entered into the other person's understanding, they could have solved this issue. But they refused to listen, and it ended in disaster. Humility, the cornerstone of listening, diffuses anger and is the birthplace of all healthy relationships. And so if you're at a point where your character has been formed because of your habits and actions and thoughts and choices and you want to be moving in a new and different direction, then you have to learn today to make the hard choice. Without humble listening, your relationships will never survive or thrive. And so here's the point of this whole thing. To listen is a choice to humble ourselves and enter into the life of another. And in this way, it creates a pathway toward healthy relationships. I'm going to invite Emily forward, and we're going to sing one final song as we reflect on this point. But there's one other thought that I really want to draw your attention to, right? We talked about the importance of, of relating in our, our interpersonal relationships with other human beings. But here's the thing. God is also speaking to you. 
you guys get that? That God is always speaking to you. He's always trying to, to get you to listen. He's always trying to open up your heart and your mind to tell you something. And it may be that his unconditional love is, is incredible for you. It may be that grace will cover that thing that you just did. It may be that mercy is there to relieve you of the burden of the sin. It may be any number of things, but God is always speaking, wanting us to hear. And as mysterious as this concept is, it begins with the choice to listen. Because listening is a choice, right? To listen to another person, to listen to God is a choice. To enter into that conversation is a choice. It requires that we open up our ears and our hearts and attitudes to listen. And it requires that sometimes we shut our mouth. To shut our mouth. It's funny if you think of prayer. So often our prayer life is, how many words can I say to God, right? My prayer life is all me speaking. It's all one directional but there was, this, uh, there was this interview with Mother Teresa that I found really insightful. This guy came to Mother Teresa and she said, Hey, Mother Teresa, you seem like you have this really intimate, profound relationship with God. Tell me, tell me what your prayer life is like. And she said, what, what, what do you say to God when you pray? And she said, Well, you know, I don't say anything. I listen. And, she was like, and he was like, okay, well, okay, that's cool. So your, your, your prayer is really about listening, okay? That's, that's the, the really foundation of your really profound, intimate relationship with God. And and then he says, well, okay, okay, okay. Well, what does God say to you? And she says, well, God doesn't say anything. He listens. And he was like, um, okay, that's, that, seems, that seems interesting. But my friends, it's so profound. It really is so profound that our conversation with God is a listening conversation, that our desires and our conflicts and the chaos going on in our hearts and our minds go up before God who listens and cares, and then we listen for his response in return. Listening is the foundation of communication, and communication is the foundation of relationship. We need to learn to listen, not only to one another, but to God. Because look at this. To listen is a choice to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves before God and to enter into his life God wants us to enter into his life, the very life that he gives us, he wants us to have. The very lifeblood of who God is, his love and his kindness and his generosity and his grace and his mercy, he wants us to experience that as well. And then that begins with our listening to him. It begins with listening. That's how we enter into his life and it creates a pathway towards a healthy, intimate relationship with God. And so my friends, we need to learn to be quiet. Not only in the context of each other, not only in our relationships with one another, but most importantly with God. We need to learn to be quiet. We, lean, we need to learn to stop talking and we need to simply listen. Listen, listen, listen. In the good times and in the bad times, not just to babble to God all the time, but to listen. When life is going well, to listen. When life is falling apart, to listen. Because here's what you're going to learn if you begin to listen. If you learn to listen, here's what you're going to learn God will speak his love over you. When, when you feel alone and you feel like nobody else cares or nobody else is paying attention to you, God will speak his unconditional love over you. When you feel like your life is just ridden with sin and, you, and you're in the depths of your sin, God will speak his grace into that. When you feel like there's nothing good about you, God will speak his mercy and his unconditional kindness and love into that situation if you learn to listen. Not just to babble, not just to fill the air with your words and your thoughts, but if you would calm down and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. What are you saying? Speak to me. And that is my heart for you guys. That's my heart for this body, that we would become like God here. 
knowing him in intimate relationship and then in turn making that relationship known to our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our communities, but it begins with listening. So can we do that? Can we learn to do that together?